Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. This month, AEM Early Access was recorded on-site at the 2018 SAEM Annual Meeting in Indianapolis. And normally our distance interviews are recorded remotely, but this time I had the great pleasure of meeting our guest, Dr. Margaret Samuels Kalo, in person to talk about her team's recent AEM publication entitled, Comparing Statewide and Single Center Data to Predict High Frequency Emergency Department Utilization Among Patients with Asthma Exacerbation. Now, as we all know, poorly controlled asthma is a frequent cause of ED visits among both children and adults. We also know that socioeconomic variables come into play in this equation and that some of these patients will become high ED utilizers, but currently we can only examine that pattern in hindsight. It stands to reason that tools for identifying at-risk patients prior to an established pattern of high ED use could be of benefit in terms of targeting interventions before a pattern of high use occurs and would benefit researchers in terms of defining a high-risk pool to study. Dr. Samuels Kalo is in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and has a research interest in health disparities. In addition to discussing her study, stay tuned to the very end for a bonus bit about her winning project proposal at this year's Excite competition at SAEM, this time for a project involving gender disparities in academic emergency medicine. Don't forget to hit the full text of the article we're discussing here today. You can find it at brownemblog.com, open access until the end of June 2018. Dr. Samuels Kalo, Maggie, I think I'll call you from here on. It is such a pleasure to be here at SAEM 18 with you in person. I usually don't get to meet my guests in person. We usually do this remotely, so this is actually pretty fun. I'm excited to be here with you, too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So to start out with, your paper brought to light some interesting statistics about asthma visits to the ED just in the introduction. And so just to set the stage, I didn't know, for instance, that the rates of ED visits among children with asthma actually increased by over 13 percent from 2001 to 2010. And this is a disease which, you know, primary care doctors are usually really on top of, and we have all sorts of meds available for chronically controlling asthma, and, and yet here we are. And of course, as we all recognize, some of these patients with asthma, adults or children, turn out to be high utilizers in the ED. And, and this is the cohort your article investigates, correct? Thank you. So as you said, we know that asthma is a high prevalence condition affecting a lot of adults and children. Um, but what was interesting to me reading the background literature was starting to understand the disparities in utilization of the ED with patients who have public insurance or those from racial or ethnic minorities more likely to use the ED for asthma. And there have been some studies looking at predictors of high frequency utilization of the ED for asthma. And they had shown that prior history of high use was associated with subsequent use. Um, and then there were some better models that had used a lot of information that wasn't necessarily going to be available to your average. ED provider. So there are models from the United Kingdom where they have a national healthcare system and they can pull in data on prescriptions and prior history and prior testing that your average emergency department doctor in the United States won't have to make their decision making. 
in it, we had done some previous work looking at single center predictive models for understanding high frequency utilization, both for low acuity conditions and for asthma, but we were concerned that there might be some bias because we only had single center return data. And there are some studies in the literature showing that up to a third of patients might represent to a different emergency department. So you'd have a huge ascertainment bias if you only had single center data. And that's why we got interested in this topic of being able to compare what you could see in the modeling from a single center to what you could see from the modeling if you had the whole state's data to work from. So so how are you hoping that your findings in this study might improve the overall care of this population? So I think it has the potential to improve care in a couple of different ways. The most direct way is by trying to identify a population of patients who are at risk of high-frequency utilization before the utilization happens. So right now, a lot of our case management models rely on finding patients who've already had 20, 30 visits to the ED, and then we get them help. But the question is, can we find the folks who are at risk before they have those visits and intervene to get them what they need to have a better health and better health system utilization? The second way I think it can help is by giving researchers information, first of all, to identify a high-risk cohort, and second of all, to understand the value of single-center versus statewide data for building these predictive models moving forward. Okay, so let's talk about that statewide data for a second. So you and your colleagues used a large database to evaluate a population of patients with asthma and high-frequency ED utilization. So as I understand it, you had really two goals. You wanted to derive models to predict future high utilization among patients who had an index visit for asthma with information, like you said, would be readily available to a clinician in real time. And then second, you wanted to compare the performance of the predictive models that you generated using returns to that index hospital, like you said, versus statewide. So First, let's talk about the database you used, which researchers may be familiar with. And as a side question to that, it was kind of interesting to me that you guys are all in Boston, but you used New York State data for your study. So why is that? Right. So we use data from the Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project, or HCUP, State Emergency Department Databases. So we're going to call that HCUP said. And that contains all the ED visits for a state that result in discharge, transfer, or death in the ED. And we use New York State data because it has the most pediatric visits among states that let us link data um, to be able to examine repeat visits to the ED. Okay, that makes sense. And so you looked at adults and children uh, using the age of 21 as your cutoff in between. And then you also explored numerous exposure variables. And you alluded to some of these um, in, in your first statement, but just go over what those were and why in particular you chose them as important to study in terms of association with your outcome. Sure. So we started with your standard demographic covariates. So age, sex, race, ethnicity, insurance, and income. And all of those things have some previous literature defining associations with asthma in the past that I think folks are probably pretty familiar with. Um, We also um, wanted to look at prior ED utilization, again, associated with asthma utilization in the prior literature. We looked at month, time, day um, to try and get two sentences. One was to start to understand if there was some component of seasonality that people who came in in the winter were more likely to represent more often. And then also we used time and day of the week as proxies for access to your PCP. So we wanted to see if people who were more likely to come in on the weekends were more likely to have multiple presentations to the emergency department. Ah, That makes sense. I was wondering about the day of the week. That makes perfect sense. So we can't identify in the administrative data whether or not someone has a primary care provider. So we end up using 
data that we do have, like the date and time of the visit, to see if it can give us some information as a proxy for access. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so now um, just describe to us how you divided up and evaluated these patients based on their previous ED utilization. So we used the 365 days preceding the index visit to assess the previous utilization. And that was designed to reduce the potential for seasonal variation or misinterpretation of utilization patterns within a single calendar year. And then we looked at four categories of utilization, ED utilization to any location, ED utilization for asthma to any location, ED utilization at the index hospital, and ED utilization for asthma at the index hospital. Okay. Anything else you want to describe to us in terms of methods and analysis before we get into the real meat of your results? I think there's just a couple of points um, about how the data set was structured and then a little bit of information about the modeling and how we um, did that. So we've chose, there's a debate in the pediatric literature about whether 18 or 21 is the correct cutoff for defining children. But there is one study suggesting that 64% of pediatric EDs use 21 as their cutoff. So we chose that for our study. And then for the pediatric patients, we were able to account for whether or not they had um, complex chronic conditions as defined by Chris Futner's team. And that's designed to capture the kids who have complex medical needs, technology dependence. You could imagine there are patterns of healthcare utilization being different from the other children. And so that's accounted for in our models. We did several different versions of the multivariable modeling. We did two models for each age category, children or adults. The first model included the statewide, so index and non-index hospital visits, and the second model only included the single center index hospital visits. And that's attempting to match what you would know if you were a healthcare system or a state public health department as compared to what you would know if you were an individual ED practitioner at the bedside. And then we did two kinds of statistical analyses to build those models. The first is to do um, a derivation set test set approach where we split it into 50%, derived a model in half, and then tested it in the other half. And the second was we used something called tenfold cross-validation, which lets you calculate overall model performance using all of the data. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> okay, so now let's get to the meat of it. What did you guys find? Um, first, first, let's talk in terms of the full cohort, and then we'll talk about kids versus adults and how uh, all those exposure variables that you mentioned came into play. So for the full cohort, uh, what were your basic findings? So our basic findings, and I don't think this will really surprise anyone, is that if you can see all the statewide visits, you see higher rates of high-frequency utilization than if you can only see the index hospital. So for children, um, about 2.5% of them had high-frequency ED utilization for asthma if you were able to see the statewide visits as compared to um, just about 2% if you could only see the index hospital. And the results for the adults are a little bit higher but similar. Um, interestingly, we had high rates of return visits to the index ED. And I'll touch on that later as I talk about why maybe our findings differ from some of the prior literature, but I just want to highlight it for you now that for children, 83% of them went back to the index ED, and for adults, 73% went back to the index ED. Oh, that seems pretty good, actually. Okay, we'll talk about that more in a second. So so let's zoom in on the pediatric patients. What did you find among kids under age of 21, and uh, what variables wound up being important there? So similar to what had been described in the literature, we found that uh, public insurance was associated with high-frequency ED utilization. And then in the multivariable logistic regression model, we found a number of other predictors were important, including 
sex, race, ethnicity, complex chronic condition, prior ED visits, month, day of week, and disposition. And we found that the performance of the models, both the single center model and the statewide visit models, was actually quite similar. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. So let's move on to the adults. What were your major findings among the adults? So similar to the children, um, 69% of the adults with high-frequency utilization were on public insurance as compared to 51% of those without. So again, statistically significant increase. And in the statewide visit, we found that age, sex, income by zip code, insurance, prior ED visits, and month were all significant predictors of high-frequency ED utilization for asthma. Most importantly, we found that the performance of the single center and statewide models were similar for the adult patients as well. So in, in, there, um, in your results, you stated that compared to the pediatric models, the adult models were more influenced by age, income, and primary insurance, uh, potentially describing cost pressures in adults that are reduced in children. That actually gave me sort of an emotional pause when I read that, just as a parent. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it resonates that as parents, we might hesitate and think about cost burdens to our families when we are sick, but when it's your kid who's sick, um, all that financial stuff goes out the window. So I think that's certainly a component of it. I think another piece of it, though, is that in most cases, there's better access to care and better insurance for children. And so it may be easier to um, achieve care for your child than it would be for yourself. There's one qualitative study looking at asthma management among adult Latino patients who come to the emergency department by Sachita Pai in the Journal of Asthma. And they found that some participants in their study were actually using their children or grandchildren's asthma medications for control of their own asthma because they were able to get the refills for the child. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, Okay, so just from a clinical perspective, tell me how your predictive model might help us with this population working as a clinician in the ED. And that's the most exciting part, right, is how can we use it to take better care of our patients? And I think that really there's kind of two stages to this, right? So the first is can we mark the high-risk patients to target the intervention to them before the pattern of utilization is set? So could we have an EMR flag that says, this is a high-risk asthma patient. This is the person you should target for your expensive or time-consuming intervention. Then the really interesting question is, what should the intervention be, right? So as we think about what are the unmet medical needs, there have been some studies looking at increasing case management for these high-risk populations. Charlotte Lawson and Karen Rhodes did a paper in academic emergency medicine looking at emergency department utilization for adults with asthma, suggesting that reducing barriers to urgent outpatient care might help this patient population. Um, I am particularly interested in the um, educational interventions, so thinking about risk-targeted communication to try and improve education and teaching for this patient population, and we have a randomized control trial running right now on that subject. Um, And Dr. Shona Yin at NYU has done some work on improving asthma action plans for high-risk populations. And that would let us take these expensive and time-consuming interventions and direct them at the folks who really need them. Right, right. Um, And then the last piece is thinking about what are the social needs drivers? Are there unmet transportation costs, other barriers Mm -hmm. that we could address, again, in this high-risk population? Right. You want to selectively apply those things because obviously there's a cost associated with them, but this would be really helpful, I think, if you could predict um, who might need those services or who might best be served by those those services. That's pretty cool. so you also, and I think you alluded to this before, about how having this predefined cohort could help researchers. Um, talk a little more about that. 
Sure. So, you know, anytime you're doing a research study, you want a group of folks that are going to have the outcome a lot. And so you want a high risk cohort to study your intervention in to make sure that it's actually going to work because it makes the translation from intervention idea to RCT much faster in that cohort. So this lets us create a high risk group for looking at improvements from our interventions. Awesome. Um, so could you just talk about any limitations of the study that you would want us to know about? Sure. And I think there are several that are really important to highlight. I think the first one to talk about, it's not exactly a, a limitation, but it's a key difference, is that we're having higher rates of return to the same center than many other studies. So studies looking at high frequency ED utilization in Maryland found that only eight that found that 18% of the people with high frequency ED visits are going to more than three hospitals. I mentioned earlier that an HCUP study had meant, found that about 30% of ED revisits were at a different institution. But in our study, a lot of people are coming back to the same institution. And so it may make our single center models artificially look better because they're actually capturing a higher percentage of those visits. Right, it'd be interesting to know, like in a, on a state by state basis, what could account for some of that variability um, as well. But certainly if you're just looking at the one state, then maybe we can't apply it. Right. And we thought also that it might be a disease condition too, that, that folks with asthma have a chronic disease, so they may have a usual source of care that they're used to. Whereas if you look at return visits for all causes, there might be more distribution than for a chronic disease. Um, the other limitations I think that are important to highlight is that we didn't have any clinical data. So we don't have any clinical predictors in our predictive model because we're just using administrative data. We were able to adjust for the complex chronic conditions for the kids, but we don't have any equivalent adjustment for complexity on the adult side. Mm. Um, and then we don't have any data on the underlying severity or the chronic treatment of their asthma. And a limitation of the HCUP database overall, but of this study in particular, is that we don't have great sociodemographic data. So we're using median income by zip code, which is a proxy, but not a perfect one for socioeconomic status. I see. Um, all right. So let's just bring it home. If you could just boil it down for us, what are your major take-home points for us from your study? And then even more exciting, what would you like to see come next? So I think the punchline is that administrative data available at the index ED visit can predict subsequent ED utilization for asthma with areas under the curve ranging from 0.7 to 0.76, so with moderate accuracy, and that statewide and single center data performed similarly. So these data suggest that even though there's potential for under-identification of high-frequency utilization with a single-center study, they can still be really useful for identifying risk factors and developing predictive models to find these high-risk groups. So we were hoping that these results would encourage centers to continue to investigate the creation and utilization of models to identify these high-risk patients, even if you only had single-center data available to you. I think the next steps would include trying to do a prospective validation of the model. So does it actually work to identify people prospectively? To think about are there ways to improve the model potentially with the addition of clinical data? And then finally, as we talked about earlier, to study those interventions to improve care and population health and see if you can improve the health of this vulnerable population and reduce potentially unnecessary ED visits. Okay, I just want to transition for a second. Since we are on site at SAEM 18, and you and I just had this wonderful conversation about your team's performance this morning at the Excite competition, tell me about the Excite session altogether. Like, what is that all about? So it is um, sort of a Shark Tank style didactic where there were um, three faculty members who listened to a total of five proposals and had the opportunity to give feedback to the people who are making the proposals and then to pick them up for sponsorship at their site. 
Tell us what happened this morning. So I am a health disparities, health policy researcher by training, and my team at MGH is really interested in questions of health equity and are moving into thinking about also disparities within our faculty population, so Mm. particularly focused around the retention and promotion of female and minority faculty. Okay. And so what did you present this morning? So this morning, we presented in the Excite session on innovations to improve equity. And we talked about some of the work that we're doing um, in our faculty group and pitched it to an audience of three chairs to see if anyone was interested in becoming a second site for the work that we're doing. Okay, and what happened? So the work is going to be done not only at MGH, but also at Columbia and West Virginia. Oh my God, congratulations. Okay, and so just tell me a little bit more about what's going to happen there. Yeah, so we had identified kind of two main barriers to the success of our female faculty when we were uh, talking amongst ourselves in small groups. The first was that people were really lacking sponsors. So most of the faculty could identify mentors who they could come to with research projects and get suggestions, but they really didn't have um, sufficient numbers of sponsors, people who were pulling them into these higher level national projects or committees. The second thing that people identified as a challenge is having narrow networks of mentorship. So they'd have a couple people that they knew, but they really wanted a broader network of folks to bounce ideas off of. And we felt like those two things were really contributing to the leaky pipeline problem, where you have lots of female residents, fewer of them pick academic careers, even fewer of them uh, stay in their academic career and then get promoted up the hierarchy. So we had proposed kind of a twofold intervention to try and address that. The first was um, involving a monthly lunch of the female faculty where people could present their research in progress, identify barriers, and importantly, identify goals for the next month that they're then held accountable to by the group itself. And we check in every month on whether or not those goals are achieved. It creates opportunities for collaboration, for teamwork, for identification of new grant, mentorship, or sponsorship opportunities, and for review of each other's materials, grant submissions, or talks. The second piece of the intervention is a quarterly evening event. And that is held off-site. It has opportunities for informal mentorship, for life hacks, talking about early parenting and academic work, for trying to come up with ways to decrease burnout. Some of those sessions are across the city. So they're going to involve the Brigham, the Beth Israel, and MGH. Some of them are MGH faculty alone, and some of them are MGH faculty plus residents. And what's really interesting about this project is we're trying to be really rigorous in measuring our outcome metrics. So we actually have an IRB under review to look at changes in productivity, so papers and national talks from faculty who participated in the sessions. We have a social network um, analyst expert on our team as one of our faculty members. So she's going to look at the density of collaboration between participants. We're all going to look at satisfaction. And now that we have these two other sites, we'll be able to look um, at the dose response relationship. So whether or not attending more of the events was associated with increased productivity. That is awesome. So congratulations to you. I'm really super excited to see what comes out of that. Thank you so much. And thank you to the Excite team and AWAM and the chairs for their support. We're really excited about moving forward with this project. I'm super excited about both of your ongoing projects. Um, It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access on site in Indianapolis at SAEM 18. Don't forget to hit the full text of this article available at brownemblog.com, open access through the end of June. Find us on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and I'll see you next time.